Hey, Patrick from Bikes or Death here, and I've got a great episode for y'all today. Carrie State with K Light is in the house, all the way from Australia, dropping hot gosh gosp just for you. You'll get it when you listen to the episode. Uh, it's been a crazy day, and I don't have a lot to say. So, once again, Carrie was my guest on the podcast. Um, he's always fun, always entertaining, always authentic. And I absolutely love the opportunity to get a chance to chat with him every single time and already looking forward to the next time. So I'm just going to get right to the show. But before I do, please do me a favor, head over to bikesfordeath.com, find your way to support the show. And as always, do not forget, please go to iTunes and leave a review. It is very helpful and I appreciate it very, very much. So without further ado, let's get to the show. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Okay, very good. Um, do you do you want to touch on the uh, fires, the wildfires in Australia, or? Well, firstly, firstly, I'd like to, you know, just say a little statement, given that it is Australia Day um, holiday here in Australia. Tell us what that is. I'm actually not familiar with that. Well, it's it's a day that is. Essentially, now this is from my perspective, and my perspective is someone that was born in another country. I was born in New Zealand, and I was brought up next to the the Maori people, the native people, and I was taught they're no different, and I didn't know any different. Um, and it was a little bit of a shock, to be honest, coming over to here and seeing how differently the native people are viewed. So Australia Day is essentially a celebration of Australia and barbecues and all that sort of stuff and the, the founding of a nation. And in some respects, it also represents Invasion Day from another perspective, which is when, you know, the colonial ships turned up and the result was, you know, lots of people were killed and the regimes were changed and and, and really the, the, the Aboriginal people, they were the ones that kind of lost in the whole bargain and it was, it was such a shame to see such a, an amazing culture that has so much knowledge and so much respect for the land to be, you know, disrespected in such a way and so... There is a call out to change the day so that all Australians can feel more comfortable about it. And so that's quite a big thing that's happening right now in Australia. And 
I guess today being the public holiday for Australia Day, it's all in our minds. So I would certainly like to res- give my personal opinion and, and my acknowledgement for the land in which that I'm doing this podcast on and the, the land traditionally owned by the Aboriginal people. And I wanted to say I'm sorry for, you know, all the injustices and heartaches that has happened. And I respect their love of the, the nature and their love of the world. I'm actually, I uh, have a little bit of Māori myself in me, which is a native uh, New Zealand culture. Um, I had um, some land that was given back to me by the New Zealand government as a show of respect. Uh, as a show of respect, I, I gave that away. I signed um, my name and, and gave that back to the people of my tribe to use and I did that with great respect and I hope that you know somehow that we can all as Australians uh, come together and and respect our nation as a one rather than um, being segregated it really does feel like you know the the 70s uh, America in the 70s you know um it's 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 pretty bad. So I just wanted to say that real quick. That's Australia Day in a nutshell, in my personal opinion. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, man. I love your uh, <clears throat> you're starting off uh, strong. You don't have to be punchy. Boom. Boom. Punch it. Punch it. Well, I, I detracted you a little bit uh, from talking about uh, the wildfires. I didn't know if you had any thoughts that you wanted to share. I mean, I'm over here in America and I've seen a lot of like relief efforts going on. And it seems like a lot of people are really keyed in on that and wanting to help. And it's also sparked uh, a greater conversation about climate change and, and all kinds of stuff. But you being in Australia, didn't know if you wanted to touch on that. Well, I, I would, and I'd like to thank you uh, for allowing me to talk on your platform. I hope that your listeners can uh, maybe gain a greater understanding um, of what's happening here on the ground. Uh, I am here. I have uh, smoke uh, most days, and that's been going for quite a long time. Um, we wear masks you know, if, if it gets bad and I have a mask if I want to go riding because I just thought, well, I'm sick of not riding because of the smoke, so I'll, I'll wear a mask um, so I can breathe a bit easy. Uh, um, but I think the greater debate would be the reasons why. And, and when I had a look at a lot of the facts, there was something that, I actually never realised as I had my head down doing something else for 10 years and um, I was really, I locked myself in a cave and so, you know, 10 years has gone by and I've gone, oh, the world is very different and I needed to learn a little bit of stuff and um, I never realised that there was two fights that I'm engaged in and, and firstly, it's to educate the world about, you know, the reduction of, of, of our footprint, our consumption. Uh, but the second, which I didn't realise, is to be a little bit of a myth buster. I didn't realise the amount of misinformation. So I'll give you an example. Um, from America, 
I'm seeing a lot of information coming about the fires and a lot of information of what caused the fires and that's been, I guess, voiced. Um, a lot of it's not true at all. And I thought, hey, where's all this coming from? And then I, I had a look into it and I realised that me being here, knowing kind of, you know, what's happening, have a better idea, obviously, than what's happening in America. You guys maybe find it hard to get any real information other than what's in the media. But what I realised was the misinformation that's out there is in some parts being perpetuated by some forms of media, and these forms of media may have other agendas. Um some information, misinformation may be perpetuated by the governments. Uh, they may have uh, other agendas that uh, work with uh, uh, other motives. And, and I realise there's a two-part uh, effect there. Firstly, the mis- misinformation is something that needs to be talked about and try and break down a couple of those myths and then try and get to the core information. Um, and certainly some of the misinformation about arson was, was something that was quite surprising. Um, the fire chiefs have come out personally and, and, and said on television that there hasn't really been an increase in arson or a decrease in arson. Um, in this case, arson, you know, didn't really play uh, a role. And, and certainly it's a good, easy uh, beat-up um, to use. Uh, and and some of the meme the, the memes or whatever they're called I'm not real good at those young things um, they're coming out with it's all about you know arson and stuff and if you think that it's global warming you're dumb and all that stuff and I'm thinking whoa that's really clever that's clever and then I thought okay I had a look into the budgets of the misinformation and then some companies have the misinformation budgets in the millions of dollars and then when I had a look at the companies that have these big misinformation budgets they're primarily um oil and gas companies which i thought was interesting because perhaps they spend a lot of money to help some information be hidden and some information be not to perpetuate um confirmation bias by saying things that people want to hear. Now, sure, the things might be factual, but taken out of context, they can be construed into another manner. So the arson, you probably heard that about that, didn't you? Yeah, I did hear about that. <clears throat> yeah, I'm wondering, do you do y'all in Australia suffer from the same type of mistrust with media that I think we suffer from in America? I think not all media is bad, um, but I think... People need to be discerning, and I think it's it's really hard. Uh, I think the the arson, I think the fireys um, know what they're talking about, and so when they say that, I believe them. I say I believe them when they say that the fire loading and the back burning issue um, has a minimal impact on fires of this size. They said the major cause of the issues was the fact that it has not rained in two years it hasn't rained we missed the rains completely and i was out bush uh, a, a year and a bit ago and then i was out bush a bit ago and the difference was phenomenal everything's dead it's just it's dead there's no rain out there everything's a tinderbox and so 
that's nothing to do with backburning. That's nothing to do with the Greenies stopping people from backburning. Backburning makes no difference. They were saying that things were burning that they backburned a year ago. And so therefore backburning doesn't really make a difference. The fact that there is a tinderbox out there, it's, it's so dry that it just creates these crazy firestorms. In fact, it creates its own weather patterns. And we had uh, a, three big fires merge and we've lost, we've lost uh, trees and, and land and animals the size of European countries. All, yeah, I was looking at some <clears throat> graphs that show the, the size and basically swallowing, like you said, several European countries. We are the poster child of global warming. I was about to ask and you, is the sense among other Australians that it that it is arson or that is global warming? Like, what is the... the... Okay, so all the young people are mega, mega pissed off. They are pissed off. And a really important guy came out and he said that as soon as the young people are old enough to vote. All these current governments are gone. So in essence, we just need to get through the times where the old people are in power and we need to wait and work towards the time when the young people are in power. And so what it means is it works on a really grassroots level. The governments don't have the power because now the oil companies have more money than the governments. The poor governments, they're trying to do the best they can and they get money from gas and coal and we've got more coal than anybody and we're ripping it up and selling it off like hotcakes. We're selling anything that's not bolted down because that's the only thing we can do because we're built on this old-fashioned way of working. I'm sure if they had the opportunity to restart today, you're not bringing cattle onto the land and destroying it unsustainably. You're farming kangaroos, right? I mean, that's no brain if you had to start again, right? If you had to start again, you're not chopping all the freaking trees down Right, clear felling the land and charging people if they've got trees on it more money so they have to clear the land. You're probably not going to do that, right? There's a whole bunch of things that if we had to start again, we're not going to be doing, you know what I mean? And so we've just got to get to that point. We've got to get to the point where we vote, right? So the governments can't do anything, really. The Australian government is in complete denial. In fact, I think they must think we're dumb because the bullshit they're giving us, they have the scientists, they have the answers to the questions that they asked. They had a report um, eight years ago that stated before 2020 there would be massive fires in Australia. Now, last year, all the police chiefs or a bunch of police, uh, sorry, not police chiefs, fire chiefs, they came, they came, now I'm just going to look at the microphone again, all good, they came to the parliament and said, we want to talk to the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister wouldn't talk to them. So they've got all the information. They know what's going on. They just, they don't have an answer. They have coal, they have gas, they don't have another answer. Can you imagine, right, if we, we apparently we, we spend billions of dollars supporting the, the coal and gas industry, right? Can you imagine if we spend a billion dollars on solar panels? I mean, yeah, or wind well, energy. Obviously, it's not as simple as that. But, I mean, we, 
we need to get to the point where we need to stop arguing about what's happening and get on to what's actually happening. And the only way that people can do that is to actually vote. Now, we need to vote on many levels. We need to vote with what we consume on a daily level because capitalism is geared where the people that uh, don't have the sales die, right? So we need to stop buying rubbish, plastic, crap, and start buying more stuff that's less single-use plastic. Okay, so firstly, we've got to vote with the products we buy. Vote we've with got to dollars. vote with, yep, yep. We've got to vote with the people we put in. Um, and we've got to vote with the information that we give out. We've got to stop being silent, sitting on the fence. We've got to speak up. We have to speak up now, otherwise it's going to be too late. And it's, you know, we're going to have to live in a world where every bike needs a K-Lite. And I don't want to have to, you know, it's, it's, I don't want it to be like that. I don't want K-Lite to be an optional. I don't want it to have to be like, fuck, you know, I've got to have Mad Max style shit because we fucked this shit up. And for a small amount of time, we, we gave their shareholders, you know, some, some good returns. Um, and, and, and who wants that? So that's sort of the vote thing. We've got to vote with our feet to make sure that the old people get removed and that the young people get put in and they know what to do. I mean, they've got the science. There's people ready to go to, to, to help fix this. We've just got to stop arguing with all the old people and uh, stop generating as much misinformation and, and hopefully we can usher in this brave new world. So I just wanted to say that real quick, get that out, get that behind, but that is based on my personal opinion uh, and it's not shared by other people uh, that I can vouch for. Yeah. So, hey, boom. You're, you're only allowed to, uh, or you're only able to uh, have your own opinions, you know, and your own perspectives. So nobody can hold you accountable for having to have the weight of everybody else's. <clears throat> this has got to be extra frustrating for you because I feel like, um, I mean, based on what you said the last time we spoke, um, I asked you what, you know, what does k do? And you said, we're getting ready for the zombie apocalypse, man. Like, we're getting ready for the end of the world. And I, I feel like this segues into your your company and why, why K-Lite. Um, I, I hate being right, Patrick. I, I, I hate being right. You know what I mean? And uh, we've known what could possibly happen for 20 years. 30 years no. you know um we we know that um at one time the world was six degrees warmer than it was now we know that the oceans were really high um we know that there is natural fluctuations uh that causes many ice ages and many heat waves uh, we know that and we don't deny that and that's often used as a debunker for climate change oh but it was hot here and it was hot in 1800 and it was 50 degrees and um yeah i'm saying it was fucking six degrees warmer and all the oceans were fucking melted uh all the ices were melted and oceans are really higher that has happened yeah. um we've been there what we're seeing now is 
if we look back 2,000 years, we see that we're actually heading towards an ice age. We were actually heading towards a, a little mini ice age, and it's to do with slight changes in the orbit where we're slightly further away from the sun uh, over uh, a good couple of laps it happens. Um, and we were heading towards an ice age, but now because of the carbon dioxide we've pushed into the air and the methane that, again, is you know, not helping, um, the planet is warming. And Australia, uh, firstly, have made up some lies and say that we're going to uh, be within the Kyoto Protocol, which is an old protocol. Um, no one wants that protocol. That was to two degrees. We Now we need to stay under 1.5 degrees. So Australia's um, done some sort of shoddy, shoddy things and brought some credits from past things ago and said oh yeah we're going to do it right now but that's just for the two degree one everyone's throwing that out we want the 1.5 one Australia won't even sign that um well, i think we're one of the only people in the world maybe maybe america don't know but certainly we we won't sign that because we live on coal um and so we are going to be one of the major triggers now i just wanted to debunk that we're going to hit our targets that's bullshit so that's certainly been debunked um the other thing is that we're 1.6 percentage of the problem now if we calculate how much coal that we give out and then look at the problem uh it's it's certainly the stats look differently now there is argument that you could get coal other places and they'll just sell it to that uh sure there's arguments that uh, no one can should do anything because it's someone else's problem, of course. But uh, you don't see me doing that, uh, waiting for someone else to make the best light in the world because you've got to get out there and do it yourself. You've got to stand up and, and be true. So um, each of us need to, you know, stand up and be true to, to what we believe in. And if we believe that uh, all these things... Uh, a change in our world, that we make a change, we, we should endeavour to do that. And so basically um, we've all got to, to try and, and, and work towards this new future. I was just talking to uh, Jolene Holland uh, just like three days ago, and she said um, just, you know, we were talking about uh, another issue, but it's like what can you do? And she kind of turned it in, uh, on its head and said, yeah, what can you do? You know, what, what can you do? What can each person do and, and do that? You know, um, nobody can solve it by themselves, but if everybody does a little bit or a lot, then. And, and that's, that's a hundred percent. I'm so glad you said that. That's a hundred percent, in my opinion, correct. It's all about what we can do in the individual. And, and the reason why I'm here today is because I was lying in a gutter, but dismissed by society. And at that second, I knew my life had been rated as zero. No one cared whether I lived or died. Um, and that was a very special moment for me. I had to stop feeling sorry for myself and I had to make the decision to do it or die, essentially. And I thought, well, if my life's worth nothing, I can go for it. All bets are off. So I thought, what can one person do? You know what I mean? What is the power of one person? I wanted to show that, that one person can have immense power. Now, you don't have to do what I do, but one person can make a vote. One person can can bring their own bag and fill their own, you know, stuff in their bag and not waste plastic. One person 
can ask, oh, look, do you mind if I have, you know, a different type of straw rather than a plastic straw? You know, one person makes all the difference. In fact, it's only singularly that we're going to win because to to become singular and do all the same things, we're really getting together as a whole. And so I I think it's a no-brainer for the young generation. I don't think the young generation are wired the same way as the older generation. And they're learning about it in um, schools. My, You know, I have a 10-year-old daughter in fourth grade and they're learning about climate change and they're, you know, they're, she's having discussions with me about things that we can do. You know, it's being, uh, you know, instilled in them from a long, uh, a young age. So, yeah. Wise words, my friend, wise words, as always. Well, yeah, I think it's just where it's all heading. I think the conversation's coming out. We just need to keep singing the song and, you know, saying what we believe in and and, and voting accordingly and hopefully we'll have enough time to 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 get this happening because we certainly have the smarts we certainly have the brain power and if we could just spend uh, a poof deenth of what we spend on the military on trying to fix this situation uh, i feel confident that uh you know we can achieve something we are great and we can move into this new world, you know, and uh, what's planned, just so that uh, listeners are informed. Uh, industry will be uh, done uh, on the planets uh, and it will be done in space and Earth will be zoned residential. Um, so uh, this is why we're eager to get to the moon and get to Mars because it's resource rich. Uh, and the resources is what is needed to build uh, the modern future. Um, and so this is why there's a lot of money's been spent on space, because uh, Earth needs to be zoned residential and not fit for industry. Oh, I like that. So that is a community announcement. <laughs> this is That's a worldwide Terry announcement. from Kalite. And... <laughs> This is the soft, soothing voice to relax you after a hard ride. Yeah, man. Uh, so what do you say we talk about some K-Light now that you've uh, solved all the world's problems and predicted the future? Well, what I can say is um, I, re- re- I will reveal all. All what? <laughs> Before the end of this podcast? <laughs> Indeed, all <laughs> the juicy goss will be revealed. All right, all right, all right. Let's get into it. Well, first, I wanted to uh, talk about the Bike Packer Ultra that you sent me in the mail. All right. So just to get it straight, because there's too many weird names, I'll just pull up there. So the Bike Packer um, was the little gold one, so the Bike Packer Pro. And so the Ultra, it's just a K-Lite Ultra because I think there's probably getting too many words. So uh, I believe that you received a K-Lite Ultra mountain bike version. Is that the case? Well, Carrie, since you made it and shipped it to me, I believe that's probably accurate. Yeah, so... I forget. There's hundreds of orders between that. <laughs> I don't know what you've got. I was just checking. Woo! I don't know. Mountain bike. I don't know either. Yeah. It's got the it's got the fuzzies on the outside. Yeah. Fuzzies on the outside. Let's talk about those fuzzies on the outside. Uh, 
I mean, you call them fuzzies. They're uh, they're like little lights, like glow glowing lights. Yeah, well, those little windows at kind of like they're kind of like Venetian blinds sideways, I guess. They reflect the light out more, more to an angle, and that's where you get your 180-degree beam. It's a very special optic. It's an oval optic. So it actually is only 11-degree beam width tall, but 154-degree beam width wide. Okay. I have a couple of ideas why that light is there. Do you want to tell? You tell me. Okay, so obviously they're not like that on the road version. So the mountain bike version has two of the fuzzies, one high-speed spot. Now, the road one has two high-speed spots, and they come on straight away. So you have the most light straight away. That's great. And then the road one has a little bit of wide that kicks in as you get going faster because you've obviously got less of a... Uh, tighter corner the faster you go the the more arky your corner is the light opens up adds that wide beam with the single fuzzy in the middle for the road beam what we're talking about is the lovely mountain bike version the swiss army knife of bicycle lights and the reason why the wide is there is firstly a narrow or a spot beam would flare off trees and so the intensity of the beam has a high reflection and so when you're in tight single track you end up blinding yourself because the reflected light shines back into your eyes that makes your irises contract and then your eyes are less receptive to light. We don't want to kill off your night eyes. We want to keep your night eyes. And how we keep the night eyes is by having a more flood beam. And we will certainly know that from 24-hour racing. We generally have the flood on the bar, or I do anyway, and then the spot on the head so I can look where it is. The spot with its more narrow is harder to position so we have that on the head so the the wide beam doesn't flare off the trees but when you're in single track and you're turning your handlebars quite a lot generally at slower speed your beam end up ends up pointing away now that's all very well if you've got a helmet light on but, but this is a tour divide specialist light and what we've found is anything on your head over many kilometers can get very tiring so my goal is to have only on your head a very lightweight led battery torch for map reading maybe crawling into a bivy or something like that i don't want to use it it's just there just in case i don't want to have a battery light i don't want to have a rechargeable light on there i don't want that so the idea of the wide beam is to basically not need the helmet light and give you the ability to see in corners when your bars are pointing the other way in single track. Now, the bike light knows how fast you're going, and so it won't shine the high beam when you're in that single track speed. As you start to open up and the get faster and faster, that's when the high beam kicks in. So that ultra-wide beam is really designed as A, a helmet light, or a replacement for a helmet light, and B, uh, less flaring off the trees, 
Um, and of course the bonus factor is it's a camp light so you can set up your tent because a stand light will last for around about 20 to 25 minutes at good brightness then it will start to dim off for up to one hour uh, allowing you to stuff around and find wood and not have to engage the helmet light or the map reading light again so that's certainly the the main reasons to have those wide beams to have that twin beam style of light to have one type of beam for one purpose and to have that second beam for the uh, throw up ahead or the high beam or the spot just like a car would have does that answer your question at all well <clears throat> no it didn't <laughs> it was a great it was a great answer and i think a lot of people probably needed to know it i was actually asking about on the very like right and left hand side there's a tiny little uh it's not even a light. It's like a clear section where the light can come through. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's some side windows. Um, it just gives a little bit of extra visibility um, on that version. Um, well, it, let, it lets you see your hands all the time. Like, it just gives you a little bit. So, I don't know if you're, like, eating a Snickers bar while you're going down the road or, or whatever. I didn't know if that was what. You know, I, I love that. I love that function, and it wasn't until I was on my bike looking over at my wife's bike did I notice how bright they were. I actually never realised how bright they were because uh, I'm on the bike not looking at them. Um, and uh, it was such a shame uh, to lose that function on the, the newly released light, which we will talk about soon. So unfortunately, folks, um, to make the, the new version smaller, that's one feature that had to be dropped that I did like, that I did love. So um, apologies there. You can scoop up the, the older versions. And I know the, 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 the current version, which we call the K-Like Ultra, we're now calling the Ultra V1. Um, that will be certainly uh, prized uh, for that side windows because uh, that was... Uh, like all good things, a mistake to start with. <laughs> um, all good things are a mistake because we can't comprehend amazing, amazing things. We need to uh, be doing stuff and, and make a mistake and realise that. So that was an injection point uh, for the sealant. We had it on one side and, uh, and then I sparked it up and all this light poured out there. And I went, oh, my God, that looks amazing. Let's, <laughs> let's put it on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So like you're... everything, it was a mistake. But don't tell anyone. Yeah, you're giving uh, away all your secrets, man. I, I was I was all prepared to I had this whole idea I was like man Carrie is a genius he even thought to put these little glow worm lights on the sides so I can always see where my hands are or, you know whatnot so uh, yeah I will just that's actually the light reflected through the side of the optic and because the potting's clear right because the potting's clear on the inside we could achieve that all right well you want to know my favorite thing about the ultra. Oh, I'd love to. Feedback is so important for me because I actually don't get to do much test riding these days because I'm so working so hard. So I, I really appreciate your feedback. Please lay it on me. Well, it does everything that you say it does. I mean, you are the mad scientist that's figured out how to convert AC. Is that right? AC power? AC power, old school, old school analog technology right. with power booster, doing all in AC. Don't flick over to computers or chips. It's old school Tesla style. Yeah. Continue. I mean, all, all that stuff. You do it much better than I do. But I mean, 
the thing that I really love is I can't tell you how many times uh, cars stop and from great distances away, like to the point where I almost feel bad for them because they don't know what to make. They have no idea what's coming. They just see this big bright light coming at them and they always stop and wait for me. Well, a single light is known like a motorbike light, right? And the weird thing is, once they can perceive there's a twin light, it's like, oh, okay, so is that a car in the distance? Now, we all know cyclists and motorbikes don't count, but cars, wow, that could really muck up my paintwork. So I've got to check and make sure that's not a car. In fact, I'm going to wait here. And, hey, wait a minute, what the hell is that car going so slowly for? <laughs> And and I get that all the time. Like so many people tell me that. So what they they use a little uh, switch on the bar, right? Now because it's got a really powerful stand light, what I end up doing is I switch it off when I pass people, and it just sits there in stand light mode and it's happy to keep going for like twenty minutes, right? And so if I'm on the highway with trucks, I can tell the trucks that it's not a car. Like I'll dip. Right, so there's all these kind of like flashing rules uh, for truckies and stuff. Once you know them and you use them on the highway, you can communicate with the truckies and you can tell them, okay, your load has cleared my vehicle, I can flash my lights, and then they know that they can pull back in. Some of them might have road trains on, etc., etc., and it's hard to judge the distance behind their vehicle. And so I use that bar switch to dip and flash the truckies. Um, but I tell you, I get that story so much. It's so ridiculously bright. I think you're right on though. I think it confuses them because I have your, I have the Goldie and, uh, that one works. I I still love that one. It, It works well, but just my own anecdotal evidence, cars wait for me. I mean, for like a hundred yards, you know, well, I totally agree. Like this, this, I've been doing martial arts for a long, long time. In fact, I had beautiful hair when I started. I was an enthusiastic young man and I trained three times a week. And uh, I loved it. And I was the guinea pig that the teacher always brought up to do all the tricks and stuff because, you know, I was like in a circus and stuff. So I was pretty tricky with it all. Um, and one of the things that they instilled upon us was... Um, Use everything and use anything. And that just means be resourceful. So, you know, you fall over, you pick up some grass or some dirt, you'll get up and you throw it in their face. You know, there might be a couple of guys there. You roll over, pick up a stick, you know. Um, Use anything. And some of these features and functions are really use anything and everything. So I thought, okay, so uh, a bird has has a patch on its side of its head right and it looks like a big eye right and it gets it's there because that's what survival's done it's put it there for a reason and so I thought well I want two eyes right I want two eyes like a car I thought use everything right and so that's just one of the little benefits right but if you've got a road one that's even more powerful again so the road one is it, it's perceived to be three times brighter than the mountain bike one. Wow. The, yeah, 
dimming off the light with those fuzzy optics really reduces a lot of the light. And so you, you, you're you using that light as a, as a compromise of, of throw. I think it's worth it on the mountain bike one. I think it's very versatile and I think the high beam is more than good enough for anything. But certainly the road one is a lot more powerful. Now, if you were to use a helmet light on short duration trips, you could probably get away, I reckon, easily with the road one. Um by itself in the bush i ride the road one uh through tight corners and everything with no helmet light and that's fine um so quick compare of the beam patterns there you touched on actually two things that i want to talk about or mention one is that while you were talking about the 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 new ultra the mountain bike edition the one that i have i have a led pin mounted light on my helmet at all times and while you were talking, I was just kind of thinking to myself that I never use that damn thing hardly at all. And I, I mean, it's just zip tied on there. I don't ever think about it. Every once in a while, there's a car that doesn't look like they're going to stop and I'll turn it on and like point it right at their eyes, you know, and make sure they see me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I don't, you know, you don't have to do that uh, very often, but, um, yeah, I was just thinking, I'm like, man, I don't ever even use that thing. And which is just a thought I have, but, uh, what I wanted to ask you was, I think it would be helpful to break down. Let's say you, you can only afford one, one light, one K light, right? How do you, yeah, what? definitely the mountain bike one. Definitely the mountain okay, bike. Okay. That's one. yeah. The mountain bike's the ultimate one. Like the road one's your second light for sure. So the road, if you're like on the road, if you're doing Trans America or something like that, and you're just going to be on the road 100%, the the road bike version would would suit you. But if you do more around all all around so, so riding, I'll give, you, I'll give you a little clue. So me and my wife, we ride together. That's our thing. We do riding, and that's kind of it's injecting time into our marriage, and it's 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 a win win, a win win for us. Um, on her bike's a mountain bike one. Because it does everything. It's got that super wide beam. Now, I'm a little bit more experienced rider. I've been riding and racing for, you know, 30 years. Um, so I, I, I ride the road one. But certainly my mountain bike one is the mountain bike one. And so, and with, with my wife, I do a lot more kind of gravel, a lot more, you know, less jumps and mountain bikey stuff because, you know, it's harder to, to, to loop up 100K rides fully off-road. So... Um, so I, I've got, I've got the road one on, um, on that bike, but certainly the mountain bike one is your Swiss army knife. It incorporates so much more than, uh, any other light on the market with its, its twin beam. Uh, it's, it's, it is designed for everything. So without a doubt, I, I recommend everyone, if you're going to start with one light, definitely it's the mountain bike one. You can do everything. You can road ride with it. You can do anything with it because the, the punchy beam's really punchy. It's only when you um, have a high average speed, you're a, you're a faster rider, you know, you're doing that gravel race where you guys are sitting on, you know, 30, you know, 25 mile an hour you know, average speed. Um, and, and that's crazy. That's where you've got a lot more throw down the road. Uh, on my road beam, I cannot... Uh, some lights, you can tilt it up and then, you, oh, I can't see the beam, so you kind of tilt it back down. On my road beam, there's nothing, nowhere where I can tilt it up and I outrun the beam. I, I simply do not outrun the beam. It's got that much 
throw um, that much uh, lux with 20,000 uh, lux, which is phenomenal. Um, so certainly the faster you're, yeah, the faster you're going, the, the, the higher throw or lux or punch that you require. Um, and so you just got to look at your average speed. If you look at the TDR, your average speed is going to be, you know, 8 to 12 mile an hour. So certainly uh, mountain bike is, is the number one weapon, uh, in my opinion. The, uh, you mentioned the tilt. <clears throat> That's one thing I've played around with on mine, and, and you're right. Uh, it casts a good light up, down. Uh, but what is, is there a recommended tilt angle or? No, certainly what you want to do is if indeed you're riding uh, a little bit faster uh, and it's, it's, it might be commuting, you might angle it up just a couple of degrees higher to throw it down the road a little bit more. Um, if you're riding a little bit slower, where the dynamo is producing a little bit less light, uh, you may tilt it a little bit closer uh, to the ground uh, and that'll utilise slightly less light and still give it the same perception of brightness. Uh, Because you're not going as fast, you don't really need that throw up as front as much. If you're doing a mixture of both, you might uh, split the difference and uh, put it in between those ones but certainly um, you can afford to have it a little bit more down uh, on the mountain bike Um, just a little bit we're not talking much at all Uh, and that just gives it uh, a little bit more preference uh, when it's uh, uh, more dimly lit uh, at slower speeds nice thank you let's talk about one thing that i failed to ask you last time we talked and i've been kicking myself ever since rear dynamo light to i have two questions there um one all right well i'll give you a scenario i have a friend that has uh he has one of your k lights and then he has the uh the same one i have the ultra gravel or the mountain bike and then uh but he has a a bnm uh brake light that's tied into his uh, SON 28. So the question is, can your system be adapted to be inclusive of that BNM that he has? Does that make sense? Uh, Yes, yes, of course. So uh, simply because I made a light doesn't mean I changed the rules for the way the dynamo puts out power. Look, I have changed a little bit of the rules and one of the secrets of, of the K-Light system is it runs at about 20 volts AC. Um, by upping the voltage, uh, allows me to create a little bit more power, and that does uh, give me a, a lot more light. Um, so the only caveat with using a regular Dynamo light system is that you would place in series of one of the wires a... Uh, half watt or one watt uh, 68 ohm resistor Uh, and that's just going to feather the volts a little bit uh, down to the voltage of around six volt uh, that those rear lights are ready for Um, so certainly uh, any regular dynamo rear light can be adapted Uh, having looked at the rear dynamo lights and having a look at 
the application uh, of what it's meant for and some of the other uses in parallel uh, offering uh, or putting demands on the power system, I have come up with my own rear light uh, that not only achieves the safety factor of a rear light but also achieves uh, a, a great power reduction and that in turn gives back uh, power to the GPS system uh, that uh, can run much more efficiently at low speed uh, when a K-Light rear light is hooked up and compared to a power-hungry regular rear light. Does that make sense is at all? It, Yeah, that's that's excellent. One quick follow-up on that. If, if anybody who has a K-Light and a, and a question like that, you know, there's... Do, can they email you? What's the best way to get that stuff figured out? Yeah, so uh, soon that'll all these questions will be in video form, and uh, I'm taking steps to replace myself uh, on the production floor and in the office uh, and move into a phase of video making. I hope to put all this video uh, information on YouTube, and all these will be certainly topics of the regular YouTube video channel. And I certainly invite all your lovely listeners to subscribe and, and write in. Uh, currently, we're finalising arrangements uh, of, of more staff uh, to uh, achieve these goals. Uh, if I could just touch briefly, briefly on the K-Light rear light and people may achieve a little bit of comparison in that regard. Yeah, I was hoping that was my next question. Is that a new, I've, I've been seeing some stuff on Instagram. Is that a new product that you're going to be rolling out? So I looked at a lot of the issues um, and it's important to note that this exists in situations that we could call redundancy level two or three. And when I design my systems, everything's based on, you know, a th looking at a thousand different points and making the best of what we can. So the theory is that a light that takes less power is certainly going to have less load on the system when you're going slow. And if you don't have a USB cache battery, uh, because that's stuffed up and you're down to having your GPS which has just run out as well, that's stuffed up, uh, directly powered by the dynamo. Uh, then if you have a rear light, which is there to stop getting run over uh, or for signaling, um, that can really eat into the ability for the GPS to run. Uh, and so as a second and third level redundancy, I could see there was an issue there that could happen uh, to some people. Uh, so... Uh, when I design stuff, I, I look at every level of redundancy uh, to make sure there's no holes for people to fall in. And uh, I saw that the regular dynamo light, uh, there was a, a hole that people could uh, fall into and, and then possibly have an issue. So with the redesign of the system, I did a couple of things. Um, firstly, I made it flash. Now, one of the most important things that I learned out of the inquest into Mike Hall's death was that it was thought that a constant light can be lost in a sea of reflectors uh, on the road because they're the same colour and they're the same uh, single non-flashing pattern. Um, and it was thought to be a contributor to his death. And that was one of the things that was said by the coroner 
at the inquest. And so I thought, okay, I've, I, I like to have a flashing light. And I thought, well, it's important to have a flashing light. But I do use a long flash. Uh, and that is uh, because in Europe they don't like flashing lights because it's hard to locate distance. So the long flash is almost like having it on constantly so you can locate distance and then I flip to some short flashes uh, to to let you know hey it's a bike not a reflector and so a flashing light was one of the big things now the great things about a flashing light is it can really reduce the power so what I built is a uh, fully programmable little computer in there it's amazing I, I built a little computer into the cube uh, and what it does is whatever I want it to so I've told it to uh, as soon as you start moving instantly start Okay, so it's got a little super cap power bank built in, uh, so it can instantly start as soon as you move. Uh, when you stop, it'll last for three minutes. Um, it will run night and day. In fact, it draws 20 milliamps, which is very, very little. When a normal light will draw 160 milliamps constantly, my light draws around 20 milliamps constantly. And so the the, the current draw is so much reduced that you're not eating into the bottom end of your power generation at second and third level redundancy. So therefore, uh, you not only have light in the day or night, it does not affect your USB system. It's fully automatic. It flashes. It has anti-glare optics so that the rider sitting on your wheel cannot be blinded. Uh, but from afar, you get a full whack. And it's also got the same wide beam as the Calop mountain bike, which is 150 to 4 degrees wide. Um, and you don't have to touch it. It operates as a front flasher and a rear flasher or a single rear flasher or a dual rear flasher on the seat stay. Uh, for people to have a giant seat pack uh, on their seat post. So that's a kind of, you know, a, a rough thing. I've committed that to the factory. I have was making it myself, but I've been unable to find the time to do that. So sadly, I've hidden that away from people and they were very disappointed and keep um, wanting to know where it is. And I can tell you, well, I have submitted to the factory, but the factory are, in fact, overloaded and uh, thanks to uh, everyone's very generous orders and their faith in me, uh, my factory is in uh, shutdown. Uh, <laughs> I've sold every single thing uh, that I made uh, already and we're about to have a big launch. When you're hearing this podcast, it's probably going to be the day we launched, <laughs> which was on the 17th of February, 2020. K-Light has a worldwide product launch when after you're listening to this we've had the launch so we can talk about all that so we're sweet all That's right all right point. very good very good um i do want to get into that but i just had um one other actually uh, i have an idea for my own product and you probably maybe already have this but here's my idea you know the um the stem plate the the face plate of a stem yep, yep. yeah so is it possible to uh, make one of those plates that can receive be a mount for your light? So, so this is this is what's going to happen, and this is why it's going to happen. Okay. Okay. So, there's a whole bunch of things that I can make and bring out, and that's what Kalot's all about. But if I release a 
face plate stem mount or an adapter that fits under the bolts or something and then someone doesn't do the bolts up properly after they've fitted that and then they have a face plant after they fitted their nice face plate and Carrie doesn't get to be here anymore so there's a lot of things that I'm not going to touch but what, what I will do is I will create a 3d print page for others to print at their own risk my designs now 3d print technology has absolutely exploded I just brought a new 3d printer and I've spent all weekend playing with it and for the price I mean I've got a room full of two and a half thousand dollar printers this one was I think five hundred dollars and it's bigger it's it's pretty amazing and I'm printing in a new uh, plastic that can that's a recyclable plastic uh, that's made uh, what all the coke bottles and all the soda bottles are made of um, so that's incredibly tough uh, it's a lot stronger uh, and so all the 3D printing parts are, are going to be made out of that and we're getting all industrial 3D print hub online uh, and that's all part of the new change for K-Lite. Um, K-Lite is finally getting some staff members uh, rather than me doing everything and everything taking a, a long, long time. I'm now getting some help with pushing stuff into bags and pushing it out the door and that's going to allow me to get onto the design to build the 3D print farm, to build the 3D print farm file repo depository, repository uh, and that will allow people to uh, use my settings uh, on certain printers uh, that they can load and then they can load my parts and then it will allow my parts to be printed to spec. Now, obviously that's all for free uh and so definitely i love the faceplate idea and that's something that's been brewing for a long time uh i'm all about mounts uh i'm just designed a whole new version of Fulcran mount that uh hope to be included in the in the mount pack and so uh mounts i have is a aero bar mount uh, integrated bolt-on, not zip-tie, so that's one of the changes. Uh, it also has built-in integrated uh, zero stack, so it sits really flat close to the bar. Uh, E-Trex mount, that's built into the mount. It's printed in a high-performance uh, ASA, which is uh, engineering-style uh, plastic that uh, is more UV resistant and has a higher tensile strength. Uh, we're also using PT... Uh, PETG, which is a, a new type of plastic, uh, and of course that's very, very strong. Uh, so new mounts, uh, new plastic, new strength, new designs, uh, all downloadable and printable on uh, at your local library or, or on your own 3D printer uh, that I can advise of models that I use and settings that I use. And so I hope to create a community uh, around uh, the mounting systems because that's something that uh, is one of the core strengths of K-Lite and the ability to, to mount everywhere. Uh, and there's even some zip-tie mounts directly on the unit. So you, you could have no mounts or the mounts could break and you could just zip-tie it straight onto a 318 bar. Yeah. Uh, the new light uh, being coated in rubber is going to stick and hold onto that amazingly well. So um, there's so many ways you can mount that. And so definitely on board 
with the uh, stem faceplate. That is for sure. All right, I'm I'm in on that. All right, well, <clears throat> we've been talking for about an hour, so now it is time. Luckily, one of my patrons, Kyle Lincoln. If you don't know, if you're not a patron, you need to be a patron because what you can do is you can get access to who my next guest is going to be and you get to ask questions and I will ask those questions for you. So Kyle Lincoln, one of my Patreons that I love, would like to know, he'd like to hear about your new equipment that you got and then also new products that you're on, that you have on the horizon. But before I have you answer those he wanted me to share just a little statement about how, uh, do you, I don't know if you remember Kyle Lincoln, but he said uh, he just wanted to express his gratitude for how amazing Carrie is in the peak of Christmas season craziness. And about a week out from my first ever big trip, the Hunt 1000, I broke the wire loom that powered my lights and USB charger. I reached out to Carrie, seeing if it was possible to make a custom loop and he grabbed the measurements and basically you just like hooked him up and uh, he was super grateful to you for excellent customer service. And he just wanted me to share that and say, thank you, man. Thanks for being awesome. Oh, wait a minute. I remember Kyle. Okay. So yeah, 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 yeah. So he had that loaf fork, that one that bounces kind of out the front sort of thing. And it needed a longer cable and he didn't have the right cable. So I think he ended up breaking it. And so he goes, oh, Kerry, I've broken it. I'm, uh, can I get another one? I said, yeah, 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 sweet, you know, happy to help out. Open at Monday, 10 o'clock, you know. And he goes, oh, um, yeah, I'm going on a trip. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, what's going on? He goes, oh, oh I'll leave tomorrow. I went, okay. And he goes, and I don't have a car and I can't get to you. And I went, okay, where are you? So I ended up driving like, for, I don't know, half an hour or whatever it was and then into this university and oh, yeah, through the rabbit wire into this. It. Yeah, I had to dr- find him in the university and then they were going to book me because I was in the loading zone or something and had to fight the parking inspector first and then I found Link. And uh, then for about three quarters of an hour, I dispatched a whole bunch of devi- uh, advice about not being scared and what to do. Um, anyway, uh, what happened then is I got another call. He's on the route and he goes, oh, oh, oh I kind of stuffed up. Uh, I kind of like my wire kind of flicked out and got caught in the spokes <laughs> and it broke off the new wire that I just sent him, like uh, hand delivered to him. And I'm like, oh, Link, what are you doing? I said, where are you? <laughs> And he goes, oh, I'm here. Um, there's nothing around. I don't know what to do. And I said, all right, take a breath, sit down. We're, we're going to fix this. And I said, you, you ever twisted together speaker wires? He goes, oh, yeah, I did my dad's stereo or something. Um, yeah, I said, just do that. I said, the whole thing's super easy to work on. I said, you'll be surprised. Anyway, five minutes later, oh, well, all fixed. Yeah, oh, that was easy. He's <laughs> all back together again for the second time. Anyway... Uh, I, I I love that guy. He uh, he 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 hated it. He was hating on it, and he just kept going. And and then for some reason, Australia decided to have freaky weather. Oh, I don't know why. Don't know why. Uh, anyway, it started to snow on him, and he was in a blizzard, and all the fun stuff happened. And uh, he just punched it on through. Yeah, nice, very good. All right, well, 
we already talked a little, I don't know if you have more equipment than the 3d printer, but we kind of talked about that a little bit. So whatever you want to say about new equipment and then, yeah, let's talk about the new product, uh, products that you have coming out. So Carrie from K-Light here and we have the hot goss. We have new products coming out 2020. Carrie from K-Light, that's me. I'm going to come to the Tour Divide and personally shake every K-Light customer's hand to thank them for their support over the years. So, yep, 2020 Tour Divide, here I come. I'm then cruising over to the BC Epic to go ride that and be epic. (laughs) Uh, K-Light is taking over a race team uh for the event and we're going to have a couple of k-light riders doing the round saying good day being k-light ambassadors to spread the cheer uh i'll be riding the event from the back and mingling through as i cruise down to the finish i'm going to be going as slow as i can to enjoy it i will not be rushing to the end uh, so certainly that's what I hope to do. Are you talking about on the Tour Divide or on the BC? I'm going to the BC, but I'll be heading to the TD before the BC. 10-4, amigo. That's exciting, are and you? And I'll be showing... Yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting. Uh, look, I haven't booked my tickets yet because I don't know what's happening with the super virus. Uh, I don't know if I'll be even able to, to board the plane, so I'm just giving it a little bit longer to see how that pans out. Uh. Uh, can you say who your team, who's on your K-Light team? Well, I'm going to drop a clue and I can say that one of the riders is seven times world 24 hour champion. All right. Everybody Google it. Google. (laughs) Uh, he actually lives in my hometown. I mean, you know, just the most nicest guy in the world it's sickening like it's ridiculous he's so nice (laughs) he's a he's a christian so he's got all the good values and all that stuff he's wholesome he probably you know eats oats and he's really nice to his kids all that (laughs) stuff but yeah like super super nice guy and he's become a really good friend uh, over the years that we've been riding and racing, uh, obviously his discipline is 24-hour race. And uh, I've just said to him, um, round and round is not trendy anymore. <laughs> What's super trendy is getting out there and going big. So the watch, the dot-watching sport is the new thing and i think it's going to inspire a whole bunch of people i want this guy to carry the flame for adventure this guy will carry your hopes and dreams on his shoulders Hey, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Uh, no, he's just gonna he's just, he's just gonna roll. He's down, just gonna ride his bike, uh, from, really. <laughs> roll down from Mexican Mexico to Mid Mexico and just enjoy himself. I mean, you know. Um, nice. What about you, man? Are are you uh, you're going to be doing the BC Epic? 
Uh, are you ready? I'm going to do the BC Epic with the other rider I'm bringing over. Okay. Are you ready, though? How are you feeling? Oh, it's... Well, um, I've been riding all my life um, for 30 years. And so these sorts of trips, I don't think of it as a 1,000 kilometres. I just think of it as 100-something every day. That's just... I used to do that as a courier every day, you know. So... Um, it's just, let's just do it. And yeah, it's going to hurt. I'm probably going to cry, but going to have to hug on to my mate because he's coming. He is a ex-Australian number one cross-country racer and he had everything burnt down, uh, all his bikes and everything bike-related burnt in the fires. And uh, he rang me up and he said, oh, I've got to change my life up. I've got to do something. I'm going back on the road. I'm going to start racing again. And he says, I'm going over doing the BC Epic. And I said, get out. And I said, he, And he said, yeah. He said, where's that? And I said, it's Canada, he said. And I said, really? And it turns out it's like at the same time. So I'm like, I'm so going there. So him and me, we're going to ride from Vancouver. So we're going to ride from Vancouver to Merritt where the race starts. And then we're going to ride to Fernie where the race finishes but then we're going to keep on going backwards up the td route to banff um because that just seems what you do <laughs> so we're just going to do that and see what happens i've got a baker cyst in my knee uh and the saul's got a baker cyst in his knee um so we have both got the same limitations and so if we push it too hard on the hills and that swells up too much it then stops the, the knee from hinging so we need to uh, avoid you know the load light pedal our way through and it should be all sweet my my left arm doesn't work real good because of too much uh, overuse and hopefully with the staff members coming online i can alleviate some of those issues and uh, i've got some aero bars where i can rest my my arm on and it's it's good it's the non it's the left side you know what i mean so i haven't got the shifter on it um on it and i've got the rear brake now on the on my right hand so that i can do everything with the right sort of thing um in america the the right hand is the rear brake yeah so i'm american standard now uh for my my braking which suits me. I can rest my arm on the arrow bar and that'll get me through. Um, and I'll plot along and saw um, the uh, K-Light representative is going to come on, on board. Now, Saul, me and seven times world champion are bringing over a new K-Light wheel set. Ooh, hot news. <laughs> you heard it here. Um, look. For the last six months, I've been working on something that I really wanted. Um, it's a wheel set specifically designed for bike packing. Specifically, it's it's carbon, but because carbon can crack, we've taken a leaf out of the Formula One F1 cars. So their carbon, they have a, a Integra mesh. Uh, it's kind of like imagine a plastic spiderweb mesh or whatever uh, that's tightly woven. Okay, so it's sproingy and it, it can't break, right? Um, and the idea of the mesh, so we remove some of the dead carbon layers. So the carbon has kind of like it's not sproingy like steel, eh? It's got a – it can resist and once it stops resisting, it just it breaks. And it breaks pretty quickly. It's got no sort of, you know – 
modular strength to it. Um, so we've whipped two layers of this T800 off, which is your regular carbon or your T900, a regular carbon they use, and we've replaced it with this new Integra mesh. So the Integra mesh is sprawingier and it's lighter. And so if you've got a little bit of stiffness mixed with a little bit of sprawinginess, it's a better overall concept. It's going to allow a carbon rim to, uh, to absorb uh, the, the energy a little bit better because it's, it's got a slightly higher modulus to it. It's, it's even if those rims layers and the carbon crack, uh, you can't you can't crack this. It's not a it's not a carbon. It's a mesh, so it won't break, and it'll get you home. Uh, so that's the major major thing. Yeah, it costs a little bit of money extra to to have the little mesh. So I've gone for two layers, so it's lighter. Uh, the rim has a higher sprawinginess and modulus. We're making aero versions, so we've got an aero gravel, and we've got a wide mountain bike. So the mountain bike one's 35, the uh, the gravel's 30, but it's aero, it's super fast, full tubeless. Um, now, not only is it got the unbreakable Integra mesh, but it's also custom drilled for the high flange hubs. So we know about spoke angle, right? Ideally, in an ideal world, if you... Uh, pull that spoke across too much the spoke angle can load up the side of the carbon rim and it can crack it and so we want to get the spoke drilling as right as we can so we actually custom drilled these rims for sun dynamo hubs and also sp hubs and the dt uh, range of rear hubs so dt 350 uh, dt uh, 240 etc uh, so uh, does that does that make sense? So good quality uh, nipples, full DT build, um, hub hub of your choice, um, uh, carbon that's super fast because it's got to be fast, eh? Because over two, two or three thousand miles, it, it makes a huge difference if you've got aero aero parts. So everything's got to be fast now. So fast wheels, unbreakable Integra mesh. Um, Custom drilled for the high flange hubs, so less less worry about spoke angle. Um, built in the K-Lite wheel building factory, shipped around the world to your door. No more bullshit eyes around. Now, also, if you have a reputable uh, wheel builder that you like to use, of course, they can get rims, etc., etc. Um, we're also looking at uh, doing a custom drilled rim for the roll-off uh, to expand that internal geared hub uh, rear wheel range um they look unbelievably sexy and when are they going to be available product when can people buy Sorry? Them? when can people buy them well a couple of people have got them already but um it's something that i'm starting out small and see what happens you know if people like what i do and they 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 understand that i have personally built over 5,000 wheels personally and my 30-year career as a bicycle mechanic. Uh, and I'd like to think I have a little bit of experience. Now, there's a lot of people with experience out there and that's not to say that I'm going to do a better or worse job than them. Um, but for me, I wanted uh, a wheel that designed by me that meet all the things that I wanted when I do my long distance riding I wanted my cake and eat it I wanted you know the the nice resilient 
of, a, of an aluminium rim. I wanted the feel of an aluminium rim and that sprawinginess you get from it, uh, which you don't get in carbon. Um, I wanted that injected and I wanted my lightweightness. <laughs> and by layering up with these two Integra layers, I can really achieve similar properties to my twin beam light. I have a better overall uh, modulus uh, in the rib and I believe the the extra strength is something that's going to give people faith and confidence uh, in carbon uh, and certainly my research has, has pointed out that the number one reason people do not use carbon is is reliability and so uh, and, and my hope to address uh, the major points and then some of the finer points uh, to achieve something uh, that is of good build quality uh, and uh, in my hope to be good value. Well, whenever you said bikepacking specific, and then the first, the next word out of your mouth was uh, carbon, you lost me there for a second, but you got me back. You got me back. <laughs> hey, I'm going to try it. Hey, uh, I'm going to try it. So we're going to give it a go, uh, roll around on them. Um, I've ridden them and they feel unbelievable. I'm, I'm rocking them over baby head size rocks and they, yeah, they feel so smooth. It's, uh, it's crazy, and and for some reason they feel faster than my sixty mil deep dish rims. Uh, I've got some nexty deep dish um, on my my roadie bike, and these feel faster because they're fat and they're wide. I think it's I think it's where everyone's going, and the fatness and the wide roundness of the of the bulge gives us a little bit more kind of flex uh, in the sidewalls rather than the traditional V. Uh, v profile rims and that's aids a little bit to the to the modulus of the rim um so yeah really really excited they look amazing uh we've got them drilled custom to the rim so we're dotting every i and every t and you know spoke nipples and you know dt spokes and you know all the build with the dt rear hubs for instance, the 135 mil can turn into a 142 by 12, which can turn into a XD driver, which can turn into a Shimano driver or a micro spline driver. Um, you can get a 148 hub. Um, you know, so a couple of builds we're going to offer is the 135 slash 142 over 12 uh, build with uh, SP, and then a pro build which is your 148. Uh, and uh, a 15 mil TA uh, for the mountain bike version and sun, and uh, we're going to use a 12 mil for the gravel version. So that's a really quick uh, overview of that product range, um, and uh, happy to happy to get a test set out uh, for you to, to roll around on um, once once they become available. Wow, thank you, very generous. I'll be happy to take you up on it. <laughs> uh what about the new light let's talk about what is different in the new light give us all the the goosey gossip the, what did you call it give you the scoop the juicy goss the juicy goss that's what it is <laughs> yeah so look um it, it's just smaller so I wanted to take it all to the final level. So essentially I wanted to sign off on factory production. Um, yeah, it's taken me four years to design the light. And originally we were going to have it over-molded, uh, but we failed uh, and we couldn't get the tooling sorted uh, to do that. So we produced a 3D printed housing. Uh, it was never meant to be uh, covered in a 3D printed housing and that increased the size uh, by about 25%. 
Um, so in the background, uh, I was always working on uh, going back to that uh, overmolding. Uh, the whole design of the light was when we reversed it. So normally a light is metal on the outside, and uh, that's to cool it. Um, and then the guts are on the inside, and you've got to seal it. And if the O-rings fail, water gets in, and it's reasonably heavy. And because the LEDs are on the inside, you've got many thermal junctions, uh, which limits cooling effectiveness and which limits efficiency. Uh, so by reversing the light onto a single thermal core, we increased efficiency by reducing thermal junctions. Uh, we also made a lighter light. And the final step was to wrap that in a uh, 90 shore hardness rubber. So the whole idea of the K-Light's a tank. You know, it's a brute made for war you know um the whole idea is that it can bounce you can kick it it can you can whack it on a rock and and so this new mold and this new machine that we got in um this giant machine uh clamps around the k-light and then injects a, a rubber cover over it now because we don't have the 3d printed case uh it ends up being smaller uh 25 smaller uh lighter uh, and more robust and more sealed. And so we've really achieved the, the end game in respect to finalising the finish uh, and the features and functions of that product. Yeah, so it seems like you, uh, if it's taken you four years and it's in its final form, is, is that what it's allowing you to kind of look at other things like wheels and making videos and all the other projects? That, and then also, obviously, you've, uh, you're have you bringing on some people to help out too. But Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's, uh, it's really a labor of love. Um, I calculated I spent around 52,000 hours for free uh, working uh, on it. Uh, I work probably 120-hour weeks. Uh, and I don't do anything uh, or have time to have a life and it became unacceptable uh, for me to do that. Uh, happy to lay my life down to get it all started and, and certainly I've killed myself to get here um, with very little money and very little support but that's life. Shit happens, you get on with it and you get the job done. Now that I'm getting close to getting the job done uh i'm now wanting to uh have a little bit more life and and part of the staff and part of part of finalizing the product uh part of the media part of the 3d printing uh part of the travel is all about that ongoing um transition into becoming professional you you're uh man you have a crazy life story going from a gutter to uh where you are now it's yeah. I, I, are you going to write a book? Maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to like retire and just write a book. I, I, I'll tell you what's happening. Thank you so much for asking, Patrick. Uh, look, I'll tell you what is happening. Um, now that I'm crossing over, uh, I'm going to cross over to public speaking. Um, so I feel that I can relate to so many different types of people. I can talk to a grandma. I can talk to a young person. I can talk to a person of any nation, any country. Um, I have that ability, I think, and, and can learn any abilities I don't have. And so for me it's public speaking and this trip 
uh, coming up, uh, TDR and BC and all that will be the start. And then I'll continue to do the podcast with you. Uh, and I'll continue to travel around the world uh, and I'll make short f- movies and short films and documentaries about um, bringing the world of bicycles back and affecting the change that we are all coming from. Uh, before uh, grocery stores were invented, we made our food at home and the 50s and the, the 40s that's how everyone lived and and since we've got the convenience of shopping malls and the convenience of um, supermarkets and the convenience of everything it does seem that this convenience factor uh, has started to really diminish our lifestyle um, so for me it's important um, to swing that pendulum back away from cars uh, and to be on the bikes and, and let our city planners know that we want more bike-centric um, places. And I think the e-bike revolution is a huge driving force in that. I hear Europe is reducing speed limits, uh, narrowing roads and, and getting rid of cars uh, because the e-bike revolution, the electric revolution, um, will, will aid uh, in that and by localising transport and localising food sources, uh, I think we can go a long way towards uh, reducing the carbon footprint of our food transportation and our personal transportations with bicycles and localization. I got to tell you, man, I mean, <clears throat> I think I think that is your calling. Um, it, it's taken you a, a lifetime to get to where you are, to amass the experiences that you have, Um and, and you don't realize it, but you've become a little bit of a personal hero of mine. I feel like I'm just a little bit behind you because I've, you know, we, we have a similar path in that I was a deadbeat, uh, you know, in jail, homeless, um, you know, all, all the things and, and, and made it a conscious effort to kill that guy and, and be a new guy and, and, and did it intentionally, you know, figured out the things that were really important to me and to live a life intentionally, uh, uh, you know, uh, revolved around those things that I think are important. Um, but you do such a excellent job of articulating it and, uh, you've just, yeah, I mean, on a personal level, it's a really, uh, I feel like you're on my team. (laughs) I feel well, have have you heard the saying great men are forged in fire? Sure. Let's dissect that. Uh, I wanted to be a great man and I knew the fire was the suffering. And I suffered for what I have achieved and the toll was was great. I have less health now than I did and it's 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 awful um but it was my choice and that is something that I you know have to to live with but as I said from the beginning my life if I was to die tomorrow the world's still going to keep going you know so I think for me I just need to stop making excuses like you know the, the person in the wheelchair rolls past you because they've come to grips with the fact that they're in a wheelchair and they've gone on with it, yeah. you know what I mean? So I've just got to get on with it. It doesn't matter who I am, what shell, 
my head's in, you know, am I in a wheelchair speaking words through a little computer? You know, we've all shown that great minds can live in any shell. And so I just wanted to, to prove the, the power of one person and to, to, to release people from what I call the hat of shame. Have you heard that terminology? Now, I don't know if I made it up, but it's something that I've said to myself to, for, to better understand it. So the hat of shame is a hat that society perpetuates and gives to a type of person or a person that they believe is a type of person. Uh, really easy ones are... For Americans, I assume would be uh, people of color and Jewish people, so they they have been given a hat of shame, and they need to abide within the rules of that hat. Now I see it here in Australia, and I'll give you an example. So if you're a true blue, fair dinkum Aussie bloke with your thongs and your your mullet and your six pack, you're allowed to be loud and obnoxious, because that's Aussie. But if you were from another country uh, or another type of person or if you were a person that was not dressed appropriately or if you're a gay man or if you're something else, there's certain rules that society kind of pretend to put on you. This is really what I call the hat of shame. Uh, It's a hat that I personally brought into. I wore that hat of shame as a homeless person. I felt I was less worthy. Now, it's not because I was Lethworthy. It was because that's what I was taught or that's what I was led to believe. This is a hat of shame. And you'll see people wear this hat of shame without even seeing, without even thinking about it. So they adopt the stigma that society's perpetuated, but it's not often true stigma. It's, it's not really realistic. It's just old stuff kind of flowing back into the the past old wives tales etc etc we all know not every single person of one type of ethnicity or religion or whatever not every single one of them is bad we all know that's not true so you know we can't say that uh, you know every single uh muslim is bad it's really ridiculous we can't say that every every native person or every aboriginal person is bad we can't really say that but that is a conditioning um, that people uh, have and that perpetuates the shame that they must push on the other person and they must feel, so you can't do this or that because you're this. It's like that's kind of bullshit. Um, and so I brought into it for a long, long time. I was told that I was dumb and that... Uh, I was put in all the dumb classes and that, you know, I was an idiot and I, I, I believed that and it wasn't until I went into Shark Tank and realised that, hey, I'm kind of like not that dumb. If you guys are saying that, that means that I must be at least kind of as smart as you guys. And so that gave me a, a release from that shame, that that conditioning, that that hat that I was wearing. And so... That hat of shame is something that society perpetuates that pushes on to uh, people and ethnic uh, minorities. Um, to don't know why, but it just happens. It's prejudice, really. And I uh, wanted to, um, you know, say I'm sorry for that to people. That was what I wanted to do.
Yeah. I mean, all we can do, I mean, I don't know. It goes back to your individual choices. Like, I just feel like we're, we're so influenced by everything around us and maybe it's society that makes us this way, but we each need to evaluate the things in our life that are building us up, that are bringing us happiness. And when you're happy and you're satisfied and you like who you are because you did a good thing that day and you worked hard and you're a good husband or whatever it is, then, you know, you're, you're more inclined to just be a happy person, you know, and treat other people well and want happiness for other people as well. You know, it's the biggest shame of the world is that we're not free to be ourselves because the government have seeked to add certain controls on us and keep us struggling, for want of a better word. So we can't cook, we can't really grow our own food anymore. I mean, we can't even, in Colorado, you can't even collect your own water, you know what I mean? So they've kind of stopped you from living for yourself, so you've got to live through their means and the supermarkets and everything, which turns into Struggle Street, and you poor Americans have got to work two or three jobs to even get anywhere, Uh I'm simply blessed to have the luxury to have my life back. Uh, I work very hard and I brought my life back, so now I can spend time, you know, uh, making stuff and inventing stuff. But I feel there's so many amazing people uh, like me that are flipping burgers, working two or three jobs, struggling, um, and it's just an indictment on, on, on the way society's run. It's thought that a business model where everyone got paid and was free to do what, they would want uh would be something of a more creative world that we lived in but i just think that uh the government's you know use of 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 workforce control and stuff uh really limits people's creativity who's got the energy to do anything when they come home after working 60 80 hours a week i mean seriously yeah well that's a good point is you know i've talked about happiness but if you're just working all the time but, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of layers to that onion, of course. I think one problem is consumerism and people, you know, want to buy a nicer car or a nicer house or whatever expense it might be. Um, and, then, and then you have to work really hard to pay for it. And you really got to like put, at least for me, I feel like you had to put your priority uh, in order and say, okay, is that, you know, extra $300,000 house worth me working for an extra 10 years. And that, that's the way I look at it. It's like, okay, if it, is it going to take me 10 years to earn $300,000? Well, is that, is that house worth 10 years of my life working for, you know, somebody else, you know? So I, I don't know. There's a lot of layers to that onion. What well, one layer is, um, don't buy stuff by experience. So I'll give you an example. I don't remember, I've had a few houses I've lived in, you know, and I've only owned one house is the one I live in now, which I'm paying off, but um, I've had some stuff. I don't remember what stuff I had, but I remember vividly the experiences that changed my life. That's what I remember. So my simple goal is to get people to put their bum on a seat and their hand on a handlebar. That's all I need to do because as soon as that person rolls off into the world and the world's suddenly at a slower pace and the fact that they don't need their car and their K-Light lights their way and charges their phone and they get home and, you know, 
they can have a cheaper life and it's it's the way it's all going. Like I got called up by this guy. I'm sorry, this guy wrote to me. Uh, his name was Jimmy and Jimmy's in the middle of L.A. And I thought Jimmy was such a badass dude. I rang him up. I said, hey, Jimmy, it's Keza from Australia. What's up, buddy? And he was like, who, who is this? And I said, Kerry from Australia. And he goes, what? And so I, I rapped to him for about an hour, man. What this guy single-handedly changed the centre of LA to over the last ten years to be more bike-centric, hey? And he puts on festivals and shows and stuff. And like, I said, oh, come over, come over. Look, I ended up don't know if I got a much time to get over to LA, but I'll definitely Skype him and and get on board with something that he does. But he gets old bikes, converts them to cargo bikes, get the homeless people of that area to do that to learn the skill, and then those homeless people, he takes them over to third world countries or to Mexico or whatever and, and gifts those bikes to people. Because in some people's lives, a pair of shoes would be amazing, right? And then a bicycle would be amazing. So they're two things that can change someone's life, right? And I said, look, I pay that. I love that shit, you know what I mean? And then K-Lite was so in keeping of what he was doing. So I said, yeah, yeah, hook up with a dealership. Yep, boom. So then Jimmy can get on board and he can order whatever he needs. Uh, I said, well, I'll, I'll make you, I'll help you design a basic K-Lite that you guys can make just for free, eh? Like, I don't care, I'm, whatever, I'll just help out. So, you know, it's those sorts of people, it's this pendulum swing back because we've all had, we've had the swing from, okay, so the 50s and 60s, you know, we didn't full-on market then, right? And we've kind of swung to the supermarket and then getting all your shit and then, oh, my God, iPhone, wow. And then we're powering through that and then we've gone, oh, now it's all cheap rubbish in China. You don't even know what you're buying. It could be more expensive but it's still made in China. And then we've heard that China's the most polluting country in the world. Then we've heard that all their workers get really ripped off. I thought, okay, well, shit, I can't vote for China I, I can't I'm sorry but I have to vote with my feet and so we'll go back to the voting thing where I've got to vote not to buy Chinese you know what I mean everything's done here in Australia and she's I, I pay a lot of money to do that all the workers here they've got families that they feed and you know all that sort of stuff but realistically this is how we've got to vote we've got to vote away from pollution and away from uh, mass production and mass transport over to personal uh, production, personal transport. Okay, so 3D printers are so cheap. A 3D printer will make a 3D printer. I mean, like, hello, I've got another new one and they're printing out little baby robots as we speak, man. Like, seriously, uh, like, we should all just be getting back to making stuff, getting super simple, getting localised, buying our lives back and, and consuming less. So let's let's get on that, everyone. And uh, we're going to have some videos about how we can all that do that as a community. And obviously people in different areas can do different things and uh, lots of different ideas. And uh, a making world is, is what's going to bring, bring everything back from mass-produced uh, Chinese polluting economy. Beautiful, man. Well said. Well, anything else before we wrap up this edition of Carrie from K-Light? So, look, if anyone's coming to the Tour Divide 2020, come up and say, G'day, uh, or hey, 
hey, Carrie, um, and I'll definitely uh, sit down and drink the beer that you're going to buy for me uh, because uh, I'd love to chat, eh? I love hearing the feedback. I love hearing uh, the stories. I love hearing what has worked and what hasn't worked. Um, I'll be on my bike, so I won't have a heap of stock with me, but I'll have a few bits of bits and bobs of wire and uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so uh, definitely uh, catch up with me at the Tour Divide 2020 and then the BC Epic uh, 2020. I'd just like a shout out to Patrick uh, for this platform and uh, I-, I love what you do. I've got a sticker on the back of my van and I'll tell everyone, <laughs> I'll tell everyone about you and I said, listen to the podcast, they're great. He talks to everyone. So look, I wish you all the best and success for the future and hope you get to rock your van out uh, more and more. For sure, man. Appreciate all your support. And uh, I love all these uh, long form conversations. I get to uh, share people like you with the world and all the way down to like Alana that was just on here and she's a 16 year old bike packer. And there's just, like you said, there's wonderful people, amazing stories everywhere. And uh, I love being able to share them with the world, get people inspired to go out there and ride their damn bike a little bit more. Yeah, I totally agree. And like, seriously, it doesn't matter if you don't have the money to buy K-Lite. Like, best recommendation is to start with a quick charge battery, USB cache battery, and just have a quick charge wall charger. So the wall charger's got to match. It's got to be QC 3.0 and the USB cache battery's got to be a QC 3.0 or both have got to be a USB PD. Get out with just a cache battery uh, and some rechargeable lights. Like in the summer, it's it's light for so long and, and you probably don't even need a dynamo light. You know what I mean? So at least get out there, see what you actually do and don't need before you spend any money. Don't believe the hype. Always question everything yourself because at the end of the day, it's only yourself that's out there uh and you've got to really know yourself what your can do and what you can't do um and yeah you might have watched a whole bunch of videos but uh, it all comes down to being out there so definitely uh test and check test and check get out there and spend a bit of time in the bush don't worry about the gear so much because i did it back in the day with nothing and i had an absolute blast so it's all about making memories uh, and not getting teched out by equipment because seriously man if all you've got is a unicycle or a scooter just get out there and, and live so thanks again pat i really appreciate uh, your time today thank you carrie anytime my platform is always open to you my friend you well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, Carrie calling in all the way from Australia. We worked on the audio a bit, and I still think it has a little bit to go, but I definitely, uh, it's definitely better than the first time. As I sort out the kinks of doing uh, over-the-phone interviews, I'm always working to get better at the audio quality so that you can enjoy it and you can enjoy it even more. Once again, please do me a huge favor. Head over to Bikes or Death. Check out all the ways that you can support the show. There's a new feature over on, over on Patreon. I've released a Patreon-only podcast called Shifting Gears. Currently, the format for that show is simply me talking about my preparation for the Grand Gravel 500 that is coming up in like 15 days from now. Uh, not 
trained, not ready, but going to give it hell. And I'm taking you along for the journey all the way through training, what I'm doing, how many miles a day I'm riding, and I'll keep it going all the way through the Grand Gravel 500. And then, of course, I'll do a uh, post-race wrap-up. And then I'll, I've got some ideas as to what that show is going to be going forward. But if that sounds interesting to you, it's available on Patreon right now for only a dollar a month. You can find it on my website or just go to patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. And not only are you getting access to that great content, but I let you know who future guests are before they come on and give you an opportunity to ask questions. And you help me afford the ability to continue to produce an excellent podcast just for you. As always, don't forget to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review if you would. It is ever so helpful in having people find the show, discover it, and spread the word of bikepacking and the great outdoors. And with that said, I think it's time for me to get to training. I've got a big race ahead of me, so I'm going to go ride my damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. 